Good morning, it's good to be here. Um, I'm Rebecca. Um, I've been coming to the Oak for quite a few years now. Uh, but some of you may know that I used to live in Chad, um, in Africa, and I worked out there for four years as a nurse in a hospital on the edge of the Sahara Desert. And one thing that I learnt about daily life out there is that you have a real appreciation for the power of electricity and light. And uh, this is a picture of the hospital where I was at. And as you can see, some methods of providing light, um, like a candle, was pretty useless in that heat. And so we had to depend on things like solar panels, which, as long as I remembered to wash the dust off and the heat hadn't melted the batteries or the cables, I could have some light in the evenings to wash, to cook, to read a book by. Light became quite a precious thing for us whilst we were out there. And um, the idea of light and darkness is a very powerful, emotive picture that we see played out in films and books and all sorts. And today, we're going back into the Gospel of John, and John is one of the Gospels um, where Jesus um, is preaching and teaching, causing a lot of controversy. And John, in the telling of this story, uses a lot of powerful images, including the idea of light and darkness, which is one of the things we're going to be looking at today. So we come across Jesus today meeting a man who is born blind. And this man has been born with a disability and he's lived his whole life in physical darkness. Today we read that Jesus restores his sight and brings him physical light. And in doing so, Jesus is pointing to himself as the source of light. And this physical act, this physical healing is reflecting a spiritual truth. In a world where there is pain and suffering, and there is separation from God. Jesus is the light of the world, and he offers us life. So this morning, whether we would count ourselves as living with a disability or not, living with a chronic disease or not, or maybe we're having some various things in our life which is really difficult and we're struggling in those times, whether we would say that or not, there's still lots for us to learn in this passage because until we know Jesus, we're all separated from God. And Jesus is the light that can enter the world. And he's offering us that this morning. But before we go into this passage, we have a little treat this morning, I've invited Tamsin to come up and share with us some of her story because disability is, is something that we'll be looking at a little bit this morning. And although I've I've come across it and I've had some difficulties in my life. Disability isn't something I live with on a daily life. But as we will hear, Tamsin has some more things to share with us this morning. So come on up, Tamsin. It's really good to have you here. Thank you for doing this. So um, I'm sure there's many people here that know a little bit about you. But for those that don't, could you just tell us a little bit about who you are and your family? Yes. <laughs> good start. I'm Tamsin, and um, yes, I know, I think most of you guys, um, and you know that I'm married to Dan, um, who's on the tech at the back, and I've got two daughters, Lauren and Izzy, who are eight and six. Uh, we've been part of the Oak since the very start, and so I'm sure, like, well, I know lots of you who literally lived through our story of um, Izzy's birth and everything since. Um, so you know this story really well, and others of you have already heard me or Dan talking about it. So I'm sorry if I'm just repeating things to you, but Becky's asked me to talk about um, disability, um, or my experience of disability, because um, I think, you know, it's a really huge subject, and I'm no means an expert, but I have 
some personal experience of a specific area. Um, so uh, my youngest daughter, Izzy, uh, was born with the genetic disorder Down syndrome, um, which was obviously totally unexpected and came with a whole load of challenges um, around her breathing, feeding, and development. Um, I mean, she was in hospital for a lot of her first year of life um, with her breathing and feeding. And often, you know, we were being um, ambulanced into hospital and it was just all very hard and stressful. Um, even after that, she was on overnight breathing support called BiPAP for quite a while and was tube fed um, for a few years as well. Um, she's got issues with mobility, vision. Um, oh, I've just seen <laughs> I've just seen the photos on the screen. Oh, um, <laughs> um, she's got uh, problems with her hearing, her speech, and most areas of her development, um, which are delayed, which is totally expected for Down syndrome, um, as all people with Down syndrome have some level of learning difficulty, learning disability. Um, but to be honest, she's totally smashed everyone's expectations of her, um, especially the professionals <laughs> um, in both health and development, and is doing amazingly now. That's yeah. fantastic. Thank you. So you've mentioned some of the challenges that you've, you've had over the years and, and probably some of the joys as well of seeing mm. her smash all these expectations <laughs> and, develop, and the things that the professionals say should happen. Um, are there ways that you have... Are there other challenges or joys mm -hmm. that you would like to share? Or yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, obviously there were very specific practical challenges and emotional challenges, especially during her first year. And I know um, many of you, um, you know, helped meet those challenges and helped us um, with balancing a toddler, in no, a toddler at home and a baby in hospital. Um, but I think in some ways, the ongoing and less visible challenges can be just as hard um, as you can feel very alone and like no one understands like what really is going on, what life really looks like. Um, I think it's really great that, you know, nowadays people are much more aware of invisible or hidden disabilities. Um, but I think until you know someone well, it's really hard to know how much their disability affects every part of their life. Um, and few people would know from spending time with us um, during the day how much of my nights were spent adjusting and sorting out errors on the feed pump and BiPAP machine and how much of our days were spent in appointments, uh, picking up equipment, prescriptions and filling out forms. Um, Izzy's disability makes things like finding the right nursery and the right school for her more complicated and for her things like making friends and getting involved with after school activities can be harder. Um, for, for me and Dan, there's also the emo emotional burden of knowing that your child will likely need ongoing support and care to some extent for the rest of their life. And try not to focus too much on the, that unknown future while also making wise decisions in the present that will affect her future. Um, I think if someone has a disability or their carer of someone of, with a disability, you can be pretty sure that their life is more... Um, challenging than what you see on the outside um, and I think that's really important to remember yeah that's great um joys so the joys yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's been plenty of joy in the last um six years six and a half years of Izzy's life um uh she wasn't born healthy as I've said and I'm sure people you've heard people saying things like you know, I don't mind if I have a boy or a girl as long as they're healthy. Um, but I really struggle with that because what I hear is them saying, I don't care what I have as long as it's not like your baby. <laughs> you know, and that's really hard. Mm. Um, Izzy wasn't healthy, but she's brought just as much joy and light to this world as Lauren did, as any other child does. Um, 
And when, everyone, when she was born, everyone in the room had sort of somber faces and spoke to me like I should be in mourning. Um, but me and Dan weren't mourning. We were like absolutely terrified for the life of this little baby. But we were still full of joy at meeting her. And um, yeah, we gave her the middle name Joy um, to try and help others to see her as we did. Um, and she, I think she continues to bring joy to those around her, everyone she comes in contact with. And we now have the amazing opportunity of watching her sort of grow in her faith, you know, praying, singing, um, and learning about God. That's fantastic. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, certainly her dancing brings a smile <laughs> to my face every time. Um, and so can you just sort of maybe talk about some ways that you've seen God work in and through Izzy's life? Yeah. Um, as I've mentioned, the church family, um, alongside you know our own families and, and some others, literally carried our family through that first year of Izzy's life. And I'm so grateful to everyone who um, prayed for us and supported us practically with childcare, food, and messages. Um, for me, that was a real outworking of God's love through His people. And I would just continue to encourage you to um, support people and never underestimate the impact of practical help in times of difficulty. Um, we also saw God's amazing healing power um, in many different ways at different times. The most dramatic was when Izzy went into respiratory arrest in hospital and the crash team had to come and work on her. Um, Dan and I were there, but obviously not able to help practically, um, despite normally being quite self-conscious about praying in public and things. Um, I started like just shouting out prayers to God um, and Dan started praying in, in tongues, um, which I hadn't ever heard him do before. <laughs> um, to be honest, I'm, I'm quite thankful we didn't get kicked out of the hospital room. <laughs> but um, Izzy survived that experience and has and fully recovered. And actually that led to her getting the surgery that she needed to keep her safe. So I really think God did hear our prayers that night. Um, another example is, uh, well, recently Matt actually reminded me of this and, and because I'd totally forgotten about it. But um, when Izzy was really little, I brought her up the front of church just um, in tears and desperation for prayer. Um, and many people prayed for her breathing and her feeding. Um, and the next day, we were once again admitted to hospital with breathing, which didn't feel like the answer to prayer that we wanted. Um, but I truly believe that God did hear Rose's prayers. And that's the reason Izzy's now dancing around at the front of church and able to breathe and eat without support. That's fantastic. That's really amazing. And so what have you learned personally about God over the years as, as, as his mum and as uh, a family? Lots, yeah. <laughs> um, I've learned that God always has a plan and is always working to prepare you for what he's got um, next in your life. Um, I've had various different jobs in my life um, and each one wasn't quite what I wanted or wasn't quite what I expected it to be. But it, now I look back, I see how God was preparing me to be the best mum I can be for a Lauren and... Izzy. Um, firstly, I uh, worked for a charity with adults with learning difficulties, um, even though I'd expected the role to be more to do with horticulture and agriculture and conservation. But um, yeah, I ended up, you know, practically helping these adults with learning difficulties. Um, I then ended up in a job that took me away from home for um, long periods of time um, during our first year of marriage. And God used this to sort of help us to work out how to do marriage apart, which was the case for most of that first year of Izzy's life. Um, I then ended up working in GP surgery, dealing with referrals and hospital processes, um, which helped me in understanding Izzy's medical care. Um, and now further on, I can see how 
Um, everything we went through with Izzy has then prepared me for what I'm doing now, which is working with families who have a child or young person with Down syndrome. And, you know, I wouldn't be, I don't think I'd be as good as I, I know I wouldn't be as good in that job as I am now, having lived through all of that, um, helping those families. So even though I have no idea what God has next for me, I think he's, he'll be preparing me for it now, even though I don't understand how or what that looks like. And so we're all sat here listening to this and we're aware that we will be coming across people with various mm -hmm. disabilities. And as you said, every, every situation is unique. But are there things that you think that as a church family we can be doing to support and help others? Uh, I would say don't, don't pity people or feel sorry for them. Um, many, many people I know who have been given a diagnosis of Down syndrome for their baby um, it has been delivered with the words, I'm sorry, at the beginning. And um, Dan and I aren't sorry that Izzy has Down syndrome. Um, Izzy's not sorry about it. And Lauren certainly isn't, who tells me almost daily that she's got the best sister in the world. <laughs> um, Izzy's not suffering with Down syndrome. Um, and it doesn't need praying out of her. Um, it can be really damaging to assume how someone feels about their disability um, and in a church situation to assume you know what they need prayer for or want prayer for. Um, Izzy has three copies of the 21st chromosome in every cell of her body and if she suddenly didn't she literally wouldn't be Izzy anymore and that's not what I would want. Um, I don't speak for everyone with a disability as I've said but I know others with autism or ADHD and, and other things who feel the same. They feel like um, their neurodivergence is a part of them. Um, and they might ask prayer to help with um, something they find hard during their, due to their disability. Like I might ask for prayer for Izzy's health or communication. Um, and other people might want prayer directly for their disability. But I would just say, don't assume. Um, if someone's in a wheelchair, for example, they're a wheelchair user, don't assume their prayer request is for mobility. It might be for mental health, struggles at work, at home, anything just like anyone else. Um, and I've learned that language around disability is really important. So take time to understand someone's disability and the right language to use um, around that. Ask questions. Don't be scared um, to ask people about it um, and be willing to learn. Um, and ask people if there's anything that you can do to, or anything the church can do to help support them better as every disability is different, everyone's needs are different. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, are there a couple of things that we could be praying for for you and your family this morning? Before I yeah. Um, <laughs> she didn't warn me about this one. Yeah, I did. <laughs> she did about did half an hour ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, so as we go into winter, it's always a really scary time for us because that's the, the time of viruses and, you know, flu and COVID and everything. Mm -hmm. And this is the first winter, Izzy will be trying not to use Izzy's BiPAP machine for her breathing overnight. Um, so just prayers that she would stay healthy through that and also for my anxieties through that because, um, you know, as soon as she gets a cold, I'm already in hospital, you know, with her struggling in my mind and um, it's really tough for all of us when I go a bit crazy. Um, <laughs> um, also... Oh, I asked Dan and he said um, for Izzy's friendships as well because as the, the developmental gap between her and her peers widens as she gets older, we, we are noticing you know, she has fewer friends at school. I just would pray that she has some close friends and feels you know, loved and accepted. Yeah. Um, and then 
I had one more thing. Done. Uh, oh, yeah, the most important thing, probably. <laughs> that, um, yeah, just God would continue to be glorified through her disability, through our family, yeah. through everyone she comes in contact with, and, and me um, through my work as well. Um, that, yeah, the girls would continue to grow in their faith. Yeah. Fantastic. Right. Let's just, um, let's just pray for Tamsin and family together before we move on. Father God, I just thank you so much for Tamsin and for her willingness to come this morning and, and share her experiences with us. Um, Father, we just pray for a real sense of blessing and your presence over this family. We worship you and we thank you for Izzy and for the joy that she is, not only to this family, but to all of us and to those that she meets. Father, thank you that she is created in your image and she is loved by you. And Father, we thank you so much for the way you have been at work in her life, for the healings that you've brought, some dramatic, some in the small day-to-day. And um, Father, we just pray for your ongoing protection over Izzy, particularly this winter, that you will guard her from coughs and colds and for the way that that can get hold of her chest. Lord, Lord Jesus, won't you just protect her in your name, we pray. And God, in the, in the moments of illness and uncertainty, May Tamsin have your peace in her heart, knowing that you are there, you are with them, you are protecting them as a family. And God, we just thank you for Izzy's friendships, and we just pray for more of them. We pray for uh, friends that will know her, that will love her, that will accept her, that will enjoy time with her, and that she will get a little group of friends that is um, it's just really special to her, that, where she can really thrive and be a part of. Um, yeah, Father God, we thank you so much. We thank you for the way that you have already done so much through this family. May you continue to use them uh, to point to your goodness and to be a blessing to others. Father, thank you for Tamsin's work with um, Smile of Sunshine and just pray that you will continue to use her as she supports other families going through such similar processes. Father, for the way that you have used a difficult situation in Tamsin's life to now bring encouragement to others. We just thank you and praise you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank you. I had a sneaky suspicion when I was uh, preparing this morning that really all I needed to do was to get Tamsin up, and I think that's really all I need to do, but I've got a little bit here, so we'll just crack on anyway. So we're reading from John chapter 9, 1 to 12 this morning. So as he went along, he, Jesus, saw a man born blind. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went, washed, and came home seeing. His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging said, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then are your eyes open? they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to wash in Siloam. So I went and washed and now I can see. Where is this man? they asked. I don't know, he said. 
So Jesus is in Jerusalem at the end of a festival period, and the city would have been heaving with crowds and excitement. And as Jesus and his disciples are walking along, they see a man who was born blind. He had a disability. This man had gone through the whole of childhood, adolescence, into adulthood. And we learn in verse 8, he'd ended up resorting to begging on the streets to support himself. He was blind and poor. He'd had a hard life. Even in today's society, with the health and social system, there's a recognition that people who have disabilities, that life is hard. It can be physically, emotionally, financially, relationally hard. And many living with uh, with disabilities will say they can feel isolated and discriminated against. Why Jesus was walking along this street and notices a particular man we don't know. It may have been because the man was calling out to the passers-by, letting them know of his disability, to give them an opportunity to fulfill their Old Testament obligations to give to the poor. Or it could be that Jesus saw him, had his eye on him, and knew God was going to use him. We don't know, but Jesus did stop, and he noticed him, and in the process, his followers stopped. In all probability, the disciples would have just walked past yet another beggar, but they stopped and noticed him because Jesus first noticed. So we are we open to what or who the Spirit may be calling us to notice? It may be your neighbor or your colleague who is struggling and is in need of encouragement, or it may be that some, it's someone you pass on the street every day who is begging. A recent survey by Scope found that two-thirds of Brits say they feel awkward around people with disabilities, and some will even actively avoid them. When one in five British people are classed as having a disability, that's a lot of people to be avoiding. And as Dan was reminding us last week, we are different. As people called to love Jesus, we are called to let our lives reflect his love for all. So let's start by noticing those around us not avoiding people out of fear, but interacting with each other. It's easy to pass by, but we are called to be light shining in the world. Jesus stopped and saw this blind man, and so should we. Or maybe this morning we relate more to the man sitting in the gutter at the side of the road, struggling in a world of darkness, feel forgotten, overlooked. This morning I want to remind you that Jesus sees you, he notices you, he sees your pain and your questions, and he wants to meet with you. So although Jesus causes the disciples to stop and notice the man, the disciples' response is to view him as some theological problem to work out and fix. Who sinned this man? Who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? And it smacks of so much insensitivity. And yet it's a very natural question. Why is that person suffering more than that person? Why am I suffering more than them? Clearly, the disciples associated this man's physical disability with sin, whether it was his or his parents, and he was now bearing the punishment. And the idea of karma is still spoken about today, the idea of paying for previous sin in a previous life. But Jesus' response is very clear. No, this man and his parents did not sin. While there may be occasions when a specific disability or a specific illness is a result of a specific sin that's not the general rule. Since Adam and Eve sinned against God, we have been separated from God, and creation has been living with the consequences of sin and death. And this whole idea of suffering, I'm afraid, is far beyond what I can tackle this morning, so we're not going to dwell on this. But Jesus' response shows the disciples that he asked them to look more away from the cause of the disability and look instead at God's purpose. 
The purpose was to, was to display God's work. God has plans for this man to use him and to bring glory for himself. Now, this is also a point of potential controversy because some might say, well, did God cause his, his disability so that he could show his glory? But this goes against the character of God we read throughout the Bible. And just one such example is in Psalm 145, where it says, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Although God does not cause disability, disabled people are created, valued, and loved by him. And this is reflected in Jesus' response to the blind man. He shows him mercy and hope. And he looks beyond the physical and instead sees a man who is loved and in whom God is at work. And this is the same for us this morning. Whatever our circumstances, our weaknesses, our struggles, God looks at us with grace and compassion. Jesus is showing us that God can use all things for his glory, even this man's blindness. We read in Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Having a child with Down syndrome may not have been on Dan and Tamsin's agenda, but we heard very, earlier, we heard very clearly earlier how God is using them and using Izzy to bring glory to his name. I read a quote from a lady who is a quadriplegic as a result of a spinal cord injury, and she writes, God loves to make possible what the world considers impossible, and he loves to use powerfully those the world considers incapable. Do we tend to dismiss others because of their weaknesses or disabilities or their struggles? I wonder if there's a situation in your life that you feel is beyond God's touch. Jesus invites us today to bring that to him. Jesus wants the disciples and onlookers to recognize that God is at work in this man who they have dismissed as a sinner and does so through physically healing him, moving him from physical darkness to light. We read verse 6. It says, After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And so the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now, Jesus uses quite a bizarre method for healing this man. It's a little bit unique. And I do wonder if there was a point halfway through the healing that the man just leant forward to Jesus and quietly said, Jesus, just a laying on of hands will do. Forget this spit-infused mud malarkey. But as strange as it was, I do wonder if this is a bit of evidence of God's gentleness um, to this man. He was unable to see what was happening, and so maybe the physical weight of the mud on his eyes just reminded him as he walked down the road that Jesus was up to something. Just my thought. Whatever, this, whatever the reason for this method, he went away and he returned seeing. He had been healed. The world of darkness had been pierced open with light, and in doing so, he was beginning a journey of discovering who Jesus was. Healings are very powerful, and I'm sure there are many testimonies in here of people who have been healed. Tamsin spoke of the healing that they've experienced of, of Izzy's breathing and feeding over the years. But there are also times when God does not heal. And in fact, as Tamsin also said, sometimes to offer healing for people with disabilities is quite offensive. What happens when God chooses not to heal? God is sovereign, and sometimes he will show his, his glory through healings. Other times, he'll choose other ways. Disability, sickness, and struggles do not disqualify us from being used by God. 
In the Bible, we read of many who were used by God despite their weaknesses. Moses was frightened to speak to Pharaoh because of a speech defect, but God used him to rescue the nation of, of Israel from Egypt. Elijah was powerful in the public domain, calling down fire from heaven in front of all the prophets. And yet following this, he withdraws in a state of deep depression and suicidal thoughts. None of these examples are denying the challenge of living with disability or struggle, but shows us that it is no barrier to God. He loves you and he wants to use you. And even in the hardest circumstances, God's light can shine. Let's go back to the passage. So Jesus is going to heal this man, but firstly, he invites the man to take action himself. And unless that man obeyed Jesus and washed his eyes, went to the pool and washed his eyes, would that healing have taken place? I think it's no coincidence that the pool is called scent. When God is at work in our lives, whatever it may look like, he often calls us to partner with him. It's rarely a wholly passive encounter. He may call us into action, into obedience. He asks for permission to allow him to work in our lives. God is not a forceful God. He is a gentle, loving father who calls and invites us to himself, but he will never force himself upon us. It's God calling you to something this morning. But to respond to Jesus' invitation to wash in the pool was a risk for this man. As a beggar, it's likely that he didn't have any skills or any other source of income other than begging. And while the story of receiving sight from blindness and moving from dark to light might seem very attractive, the reality for this man was hugely risky. And yet it was a risk he was willing to take. As a result, Jesus brings light to his darkness, and not just physically, but spiritually too. And the next week, we will start seeing that eventually he ends up worshipping Jesus as the Messiah. In John 3, we read, Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly, plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. But John also writes, In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus' light brings with it life, and darkness does not have a hold over us any longer. Are there areas where maybe we're hiding in the darkness, in the cover, in the comfort of darkness? Is God calling you in some way to allow his light to shine in your life? And maybe it seems a risk, and you're not sure what that will lead to. But are you still willing to go and trust that God is your loving Father? As I was reflecting on this this week, God reminded me that light doesn't have to conjure up its ability to shine in the dark and bring light. There's not a light in the middle of a dark room that's sitting there thinking, come on, push it, you can light, you can bring light, make a difference. When light is in the room, you know it's in the room because it will naturally bring that light. God isn't asking us to try and force peace and force things out of us to be okay with difficulties. He's asking us just to let his light shine and his light dispels darkness. As we round up, um, we're just going to skip back a couple of verses to look at a slightly cryptic statement which Jesus says. He says in verse 4, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming up when no one can work.
There is a sense of urgency to Jesus' actions. He's aware that he is journeying towards the cross where he will pay for the sins of the world. But through his resurrection three days later, he will conquer the ultimate darkness of death and separation from God. And as the light of the world offers us eternal life and relationship with God the Father. And this is what we were remembering earlier on in communion. In Colossians, we read, he has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. When Jesus declares he is the light of the world, just before giving sight to a blind man, he is pointed to himself as the ultimate provider of light and life in any darkness. And this is available to every one of us today. I was chatting to a friend a couple of weeks ago who said, the world seems a lot less of a scary place with God in it. Yes, there is pain and darkness and disappointments and struggles and questions, but somehow in the midst, God is offering us his light and his life, and in doing so, is using our lives to display his glory. So there's just a couple of things that I wondered you might want to reflect on as Emily and the band come up, and we'll just spend some time responding. It might be that you're sat here this morning feeling really discouraged and forgotten. And that might be due to a disability or something else in your life that is re you're really struggling with. And Jesus just wants to remind you that this morning he sees you and he wants to meet you. And he wants to bring his light in that place. There might be an area that you're desperately trying to hide from God and you're trying to keep in the dark and you're not really wanting to let him in. He's, he's asking you, will you let me in? Are you going to let me in this morning? It might be that you're going to come to God this morning and you're going to bring the same prayer that you've already brought a hundredth time to him and seek his presence. I wonder how many times that man prayed for his sight to be restored before he met Jesus. How many times do we have to come before God before he... He reveals himself to us. God wants to reveal himself to you this morning. and He wants to let his light into your difficult areas. So I'm just going to hand over to Emily now. But let's just, let's just pray quickly. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you um, that this morning you want to remind us that you are the light of the world. That when Jesus went to the cross, he did so to dispel the darkness of sin and separation from you, and you invite us into light and life and all that means. But God, we come before you this morning knowing that there is pain and we are experiencing difficulties in this life. And whatever they may be, Lord, may we know that you're at work in them and you want to meet us in those places. And despite those things, you will bring glory through us. Father God, whether there is... Um, whether there is a healing we, we're wanting for, whether there's an answer to financial pressures, to restore relationships, whatever it may be in our lives, may we just come before you now and seek your face. Father, thank you that you are a loving Father and that you know each one of us, you've created each one of us, you delight over each one of us. Just pray for your truth and light to, to shine in our lives this morning, for your glory and your name's sake. Amen.